The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fertility FM, brought to you by CCRM Fertility. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so excited to chat with you two today because this has been a a huge issue in my life. Fertility has been a huge aspect of my life that I wish could have been easier. And I did not know that it was going to be so difficult, I think, like most women. And I'm happy, Pia, that you're here too, because she has a different experience than I. Like all women, we all have such unique experiences. And so it's so important to find the right people that will tune in to you. And so CCRM feels like that place. I feel like we should first start by just introducing yourselves and tell us what you do and what CCRM is. Do you want to take it away? <laughs> sure. All right. So I'm Dr. Bardos. I'm one of the founding uh, partners for at CCRM Miami. Uh, I am the medical director. A little bit about me. So I guess uh, we can go back to where I was born, but from Baltimore originally, mm-hmm. did most of my training in New York, did my residency at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Uh, actually moved down to Miami for a reproductive genetics fellowship, fell in love with Miami. Uh, we planned on moving back to New York, but then uh, fell in love down there. Uh, I did my fellowship, my REI fellowship at the NIH Walter Reed. And uh, yeah, now about after two years of a lot of hard work, finally opened uh, our practice down in Miami. Congratulations. Yeah, it's so awesome. Um, so my name's Cal Potts. I'm originally Australian. If you pick up an accent, that's where I'm from. So I did my schooling there, went to medical school there, did my master's degree there. Always felt like I should have been American. So my wife and I decided to move <laughs> later in life. So we did all of our training here. I, I trained at Nova Fairfax Hospital in Northern Virginia, did my reproductive endocrinology and infertility fellowship in Vermont at the University of Vermont. That was a little bit chilly for us yeah, from, from yeah. where we're from. So Miami is a little closer to home. We, we kind of moved halfway across the world and basically moved back to a town that looks exactly the same as where we grew up in Australia. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, as Dr. Bardo said, just super excited to get started in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we should start with, I mean, I, I feel like giving some context to a little bit of my experience. And I, I think mm-hmm. that could help in, in where you're at. You mm-hmm. can share a little bit about where you're at. But IVF is a scary thing. You know, I remember, so I had multiple miscarriages and I find my last miscarriage, the doctor called me in and was like, I think maybe you should start thinking about IVF. Like if you want the fastest, most reliable way to having this baby, like this is something that I think you should consider. And I immediately broke down because I thought that that was like a quote, like worst case scenario situation that Timmy and I couldn't Mm -hmm. do this on our own and that now we had to go like get medicine involved in something that you think should be like really natural, that you want to be really, again, quote, natural. And I luckily found a center in Los Angeles because we live in LA and it's such a big city, a metropolitan city where we have access to so many great doctors and fertility clinics. I was lucky to be able to find you know, a resource and a, and a doctor's office that was amazing and cared for me and answered my questions. And like, I felt like I had that support, but in sharing that experience, I've realized that that is not the norm and that fertility clinics are very few and far between and that it is not as, as easy as not that as easy as it looks, but it, it, it is a very, very trying experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe you can share your experience about where you're at right now, because 
I know you haven't gone through IVF, but you have a baby. You're thinking about a second. I thought I was going to have to do IVF for the for the first time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I, like Whitney, was trying for a really long time, having miscarriages. And uh, an IVF clinic actually like reached out to me on Instagram. Wow. Yeah. And oh. it was somebody who, like, I think it like worked with a couple of people that I know. And so I went and saw this doctor and he told me after a couple of tests that I would never be able to get pregnant. It was a lot of really negative. Mm -hmm. It was really it was very much like, you know, at this point you feel like you're broken. Right. And you want to just like provide this thing for your husband or your partner. Yeah. And it was very like car salesman y. I have like a lot of hostility towards this experience and this particular person because it was awful. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you're never going to get pregnant on your own. Mm -hmm. If you do, it won't stick. And we need to start this process right away. And literally was like, if you post about it on Instagram, I'll give you like access to my like VIP package, which is like being able to text my assistant with questions. It was like really crazy. (laughs) I know. And it was sad because I remember like walking into the office and there were so many women waiting in there. And it was so many women from so many different like economic backgrounds. And I just knew that this was like kind of a ripoff. Mm-hmm. for all of these women and that they were probably having like a very cold experience. And mm-hmm. this is probably, you know, there are people going into debt or using all the money that they have to create a family for themselves. And that felt, that whole thing felt really odd to me. Mm-hmm. And then he kept messaging me and I ended up getting pregnant on my own. We decided to stop trying and to give myself a break before we were going to start IVF. Mm-hmm. And that month I, I, I fully accidentally got pregnant, which was amazing. And it's great. And he kept messaging me saying like, well, for free, you can come into the office and I'll give you a scan to make sure that like nothing's happening to the baby. Basically saying no like, way. I wasn't going to stay pregnant. And he wanted to, he really wanted to be the one to prove that I couldn't stay pregnant. So I'd have to like go through IVF with him. Yeah. But now, you know, I, she's two, I'm 36. I'm really torn. I'm mm. like, yeah. do I go for it? Yeah. And know that I might go through a series of, you know, it's like, how long do you what do you do here? I know. You know I feel it's like, the same. Do I spend six months, you know, the heartbreaks that could possibly happen? I know. IVF seems a little scary. Like, I just don't. And then what if we do all that and don't end up with any embryos? I, I like, I'm so, but it, but it seems responsible to go through IVF because especially if you want three kids. It feels like, like I said, it feels like the the quickest way because you're getting, obviously, science sure, involved. Sure. Yeah. But I totally get that. There are so many questions when it comes to this and you don't know how long it's going to take and you don't know if there actually is going to be a baby at the other side. And you're mm-hmm. like, how much money am I willing to spend on this? And the and so, stress of that on your body makes it so hard for you to relax and like... And like actually maybe get right. pregnant. Yeah. Right. yeah. So when thinking about like, okay someone wants to go through IVF, whether they whether they need to, whether they're considering it because they just want to do something like this way. What are some of the questions, the first questions that they should ask when looking for a fertility clinic? Yeah, I mean, so I think just straight off the bat, there's a lot of opacity in this process. And I think mm-hmm. that's what people have historically come up against. You know, a, a lot of people have infertility. It's something like one in eight, you know, couples will Can experience like t- infertility. Do you, do you, I'm, Sure. Why is that happening? Yeah. And is it more, d- does it seem to be getting 
worse. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like it's getting worse. my mom is always like, this wasn't happening when we, when I was your age, like people weren't yeah. miscarrying it, as much, but then I'm like, or were people just not talking yeah. about right. it? That's, right. That's yeah. what it was. I, I mean, Yes, there may be a, sm a slight trend in that direction, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it is just people are more aware and there's mm -hmm. a lot more awareness, you know, with social media and, and the internet, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so now when, you know, I did a study uh, about 10 years ago looking at one of my areas of, in of uh, research is miscarriages and miscarriage mm -hmm. management and how, what the process that patients are going through. Mm -hmm. And we did a survey and we just surveyed people to see how common do you think miscarriage is? And I was shocked to see that like people thought it was quite rare. They really didn't think it was mm -hmm. a common thing when mm -hmm. miscarriages happen, one in four pregnancies mm -hmm. and then a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is just awareness and people didn't know and people were secretive about it. You know, they felt guilt or shame when they felt that they had done something wrong, even mm -hmm. though that's not true the and vast that, majority of the time. What you mentioned earlier, you, you feel broken. This is something that, you know, you feel should be natural. It, right. It's something that we, we should do and our bodies should do. And if it's not happening in the time frame that we expect, then, you know, we, we tend to put that blame on ourselves totally. when in, in reality it's, you know, we're not broken. We, and we may just need a little bit of extra help or a little bit of an extra push, try right. some different options. Right. Because we don't have full control over what's going Absolutely. on inside our bodies. Yeah. But like, yeah. I know you probably, this is a hard question to answer because mm. it's very specific for each person, but is there like a number of miscarriages someone's ha someone has where you're like, okay, now it's really time to look at IVF. Like, cause I had, I had four mm -hmm. and oh, then yeah. my doctor was like, okay, now I think it's time. Yeah. Two, two of them, they did biopsies on and they saw that they were just chromosomally, something was wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Is there like a number or a recommendation? Yeah. So, so I, you know, I actually spent a year, I did a recurrent pregnancy loss fellowship. Uh -huh. So that was uh, part of my time, uh, just because it's always been a passion of mine. Uh, so the answer is it's actually changed over the years, the definition of recurrent pregnancy loss. It mm -hmm. currently is now two miscarriages. So okay. if you've been pregnant twice and miscarried, so anytime you get a positive pregnancy test, now that if you have two of them, it doesn't have to be in a row. It could be at any point throughout your reproductive life. Mm -hmm. Then you have this, this diagnosis of recurrent pregnancy loss. And the purpose of the diagnosis is it kind of opens you to let's do some other tests. Let's try to let's take a closer look. Mm -hmm. You know, so instead of it used to be they would wait to three or four have to be they had all these rules. And what's happening is women weren't getting the evaluation that they needed uh, that could potentially uncover some of the reasons for it that were fixable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge like when I went. He's not my doctor anymore. He retired. But the guy who delivered me mm -hmm. was, still, you know, he was in his 70s. And I went to see him. I made an appointment and I said, we're going to start to try. And he said, come back in six months if you're not pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm here. Can we do an ultrasound? <laughs> right. Can we see how many follicles mm -hmm. I have? Can mm -hmm. we see if I have, you know, anything? Well, I'm here. You have all the equipment is in this room. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hello. Is there something that we should be asking for or advocating for when we want to start trying and maybe want to say, hey, like, you know, I want to give it my best shot before we wait till all these things yeah. happen. Yeah. You know, what should women be asking their doctors for? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's always helpful to, you know, have that dialogue with your physician and OBGYNs are great at having sort of preconception talks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can look at your medical history. You can make sure that you're up to date on things that you need to be up to date on in your general health. You know, they can talk about, say, supplements or, you know, diet exercise, things to avoid, things things to look out for. Mm -hmm. And then just set that framing for 
you know, like you said, if things haven't happened in a time frame that, that you find reasonable or if you're having other issues, then, you know, by all means, come back for a more formal evaluation. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think about starting or, or you know, recommending doing these evaluations if, you know, say a couple of has been trying to have a pregnancy for 12 months without success. Mm-hmm. If you're under the age of 35, if you're over the age of 35, then six months is a you know, more reasonable time frame. Okay. It's not to say that it's wrong to, to do that evaluation earlier. These are just the time points at which we would recommend looking into things a little mm-hmm. bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. But definitely starting that that conversation, you know, even before you're trying to conceive, you know, even if you're you're still on birth control and just thinking about coming off and, and making that choice, it's still reasonable to have that conversation early mm-hmm. so that you can set yourself up for success, have those expectations, maybe take some of the mystery and the and the stress out of it a little bit and, you know, have that relationship with someone that hopefully is, you know, a good a good partner in the medical field as you as you move forward in the process. Right. Well, that come, goes into my next question, which is like, what should people be looking for when looking for a fertility clinic? Like, OK, so you've decided you want to go down this road or you want to discover more and meet yeah. with someone. Yeah. What what should what questions like I was saying before, should they be asking to find the right place for them? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's probably a few things that, that people really should think about or, or mm-hmm. that are important. So I guess taking a step back, my, my wife and I, also did IVF. You know, we had infertility and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just very stressful. And we had a lot of these same feelings of, you know, there's something wrong with this. And, and yeah. it, infertility is invisible. It's, it's something that you, you don't see. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that doesn't really reveal itself until you've been trying this most natural thing in the world and mm-hmm. you're just not having success. Mm-hmm. So things that we were looking at and things that drew us actually to our CCRM clinic in Boston with, with Dr. Reinick, you know, we, want, we wanted to have a physician who was well-trained that had, you know, the fellowship training, that had all the qualifications, that had a broad base of knowledge. We wanted a clinic where, you know, we knew the success rates were high. Yeah. So this is an expensive process. It's right. stressful. You know, there's lots and lots of resources that you're putting into it as a person or as a couple to know that you're getting the kind of the highest chance for success, whatever that looks like for you is, mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. I feel like my doctor, every time it's always the same probability. It's always yeah. like, it's always 50-50 or 60-40. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's never, I, I think that doctors probably can't really give you more of a, you know, well, percentage. Uh, but yeah. some, some can, some yeah. can't. You know, it's, yeah. uh, there are statistics that are available. So there are, you know, publicly available statistics. There's an organization called SART or S-A-R-T uh-huh. and their website SART.org has most you know, IVF clinics in the U.S. and lists their reproductive outcomes for, for all cycles that happen mm. in those clinics. This is, you know, this is reportable data. Amazing. And so people can look at that. And, uh-huh. and you know, if you have the luxury of being in a place where you have multiple options for fertility care, uh-huh. then you can actually look at the data and, and see how different clinics compare cool. to each other. Really cool. You know, I, I, I do think, you know, we're in an age where data is available and we should be able to give people accurate data. You know, your, your provider should be able to say, well, you're not just a cookie cutter, you know, 50-50 outcome. This right. is you as a person. These are your statistics. Right. This is, you know, the results of the investigations we've done. This isn't a, you know, more personalized, updated chance of, of your success based on, you know, the procedures that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important point, you know, what you were saying at the end, that finding the right doctor for you, a lot has to do with, you don't want to be in that cookie cutter place. You don't want to be in that factory. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that was important to us when we were when we were starting our own company, you know, joining with CCRM is we wanted that specialized care, that mm-hmm. special relationship that you can have with the patient. You know, it's not just every woman that comes mm-hmm. in, we just give you the exact same protocol. We have right. maybe 12 or 14 or 15 different protocols and 
the goal during that process of is really getting to know the patient, right. uh, what they need, what their needs are, who they are, you know, what their different hormone levels are, and that helps guide us. We take all that information, uh, put it together, and then we sit down with you and we actually talk to you. We don't just say, "Well, you got 50-50. I mean, any, anyone can say, "Right, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to go through." Um, I mean, I, I have fourteen years of medical training to be able to say fifty-fifty. So, um, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's. That that's one of the things that I think makes us, uh, you know, the company so special is that we do, we really focus on that. And it's not just at the physician level; it's at all levels in the company. Mm-hmm. You know, so from even from the front desk, how we make our waiting room. You know, uh, the clinic we have in Florida, we designed it's a beautiful, gorgeous clinic. We designed it with that calm sense this in mind. You mm-hmm. know, we, this is a very stressful process mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything we can do, even just in. What, what you're sitting on and the colors and the, the artwork and the flow of how you move through the space, those were all things that we took into consideration because it's important to us. Totally. So I want to get into the specifics of like the processes, IUI versus IVF and what they sort of look like so that women sure. and, and men can and everyone can get a sense of what, what it looks like and how long these things take. And mm-hmm. You know, originally when my doctor said IVF, I was like, well, why not IUI? You know, like there's I I think that there's there's so many differences and we don't know why one and not the other. So maybe you could just give us like a a 101 on that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think really important kind of taking a step back from even looking at the treatments is there there is a really important getting to know you phase. Yeah. So when you, you know, go to the clinic, you meet your doctor, you know, we want to find out more about you as a person and that's like holistic it, stuff. absolutely yeah right. like it, you need to know the whole that's what that's what i liked about yeah. ccrm yeah. in in doing my research was that it felt like it was very holistic it wasn't like it was you were a number yeah. like each yeah. person like we were saying was really looked at with a separate set of needs yeah, yeah. And, you know i think a lot of the time you know people focus on sort of the treatment and and mm-hmm. are very treatment oriented mm-hmm. you know we have to move that back to being very patient oriented and mm-hmm. you know Yes, there are big buckets of treatment that we kind of talk about. So, you know, ovulation induction and IUI, IVF, these are sort of two big categories. But mm-hmm. within that, there are lots of different nuances that right. we can, you know, really focus on you as an individual. And so having that get to know you visit, taking a really thorough personal history, family history, doing a physical exam, and then getting evaluation testing. And that's, you know, some blood work, ultrasound, mm-hmm. uh, sort of an X-ray test called an HSG to look at your fallopian tubes. Mm. If there's a male partner looking at a semen analysis and maybe some other factors to do with with their own hormonal testing, that's all really important to kind of guide the most effective treatment or, or you know, at least recommending treatments. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, you know, it, it's all about what the person sitting in, across from you wants to do. So, right. What you know, their timeline is. Exactly. Yeah. What, exactly. How, many, yeah. how many children do you want in your family? Right. It's an important question. Yeah. If right. you want to do genetic testing, you know. If, Can you genetic test... For an IUI, no. Not for an IUI, no. But, you can only well, genetic test once they become an embryo, correct? So great question. So genetic mm-hmm. testing is a huge category, and there's different, and I think it's confusing to people because it's it's a catch-all term, mm-hmm. right? So there's genetic testing of the embryo. There's genetic testing. There's different types of tests that we can do on the individual. So either the partner uh, looking at their own uh, something called a karyotype, which is kind of like a zoomed out version of just of, of all the genes. I kind of explain it. It's kind of like looking at a bookcase, right? So Wait, you, can I interrupt you because I have sure, a question? You can because I can see that you're Jewish. Yes, I'm Jewish. I am Italian, and my husband. I'm half Italian, and my husband's from Italy. 
So our doctor, when we met him, was like, you guys are both going to need to do genetic testing because mm-hmm. you're both Italian. He goes, we do it for a lot of our clients who are both Jewish. Yeah. And my husband was like, so what about everybody in Italy? <laughs> he was like, so the whole country just shouldn't be making babies? And they, they were just was like, hilarious. Was like, they're like, what does that mean? Yeah, no, it's so odd to be like, well, you guys have similar genetic backgrounds and that could be a bad yeah. thing. But it's like right. the entire goddamn country exists. Right, right, right. <laughs> and the truth is, it's, it's an excellent point. And actually, if you go to the, you know, in the OBGYN office, that is actually a recommendation that we do something called carrier screening. And that's blood that's drawn from both partners to see is there a chance that maybe you have some small changes in in your in, in various different genes that alone right because we have two copies of all of our genes so most most of the diseases we're looking for you need to have both of the copies of the genes not not working in order to have the disease uh, but many people are walking around as a carrier meaning they only have one they have one copy of their gene that works one copy that doesn't the body can read the recipe on one side totally fine mm-hmm. and What's happened over years is certain ethnicities or certain groups, because they often marry each other, uh, they're more likely to have those rare changes mm. in their ethnicity, uh, in their group. So Ashkenazi Jewish is an example, mm-hmm. Italian, me. you know, even Middle Eastern. There's mm-hmm. tons yeah, of different ethnicities. Yeah, we had to do that too. It was the same because Timmy and I are the same background. I mean, mm-hmm. we wanted to do it anyways, especially because of all the miscarriages. Yeah. yeah. But we, so we ended up doing egg retrieval. We made embryos. We mm-hmm. got we. I had like twenty one eggs. Oh, we were, we were great. able to make wow. five embryos. That's great. Mm-hmm. Four of them are genetically tested. Mm-hmm. One of them wasn't. Which I also want to understand. I, I, I like forget what my doctor said to me. You know, it's like you also get so much information. Yeah. Yes. That yes. And you're you don't and you're emotional and you're like blacking out while they're talking to you with like emotion and so you yeah. But I remember him saying like we didn't test this last one because it was maybe like the weakest and we didn't mm-hmm. want to. It was mm-hmm. it was possible by the by testing it it could hurt it, but we had two girls and two boys. I'm getting very yeah two girls and two boys. The boys were stronger, supposedly, quote, stronger, mm-hmm. uh, which I also want to understand what that means. Yeah. And the two girls were not as strong. Yeah. We put in one girl and we're using a surrogate. Mm-hmm. We put in one girl a couple months ago. She we miscarried at nine weeks, oh, I'm sorry. which I was like, like genetically tested. Yeah, you like, get that yeah. I'm yeah. like, what, what, what? Like, I did not. I, I just. And I knew I've heard that it's, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but I thought I, we had done everything. So you going back to the genetic testing, it is gray and it's like, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be, it's going to be a hundred percent. Yeah, totally. So that's what I was saying. You know, when we test, so there's different tests that we can do. Mm -hmm. So on the embryo, something called PGTA or pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. And that's, we're looking at that zoomed out view. And the way I kind of explain it, you know, when I was uh, a genetics fellow, I found this very helpful. If you're looking at a bunch of bookcases, right, up against a wall, and you're looking from across the room, you can see that there are shelves and the shelves are full of books, right? So you can say, oh, look, I've got all the books seem to be there. Same thing. That's what a karyotype is. You're looking at this zoomed out view and you see all the books are there, but you don't know if there's chapters missing, if there's spelling errors inside the books. And so that's why, even though it's great that we're looking at that zoomed out view, you're not getting that really close up look when you're doing the, the pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy or when we do the karyotypes. So for patients who have multiple miscarriages, we'll also check the zoomed out view of the parents' genes, not just uh, the, the gametes or the, the embryos. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so that's that's why it's not perfect. Right. We haven't gotten that. It significantly improves the chance, right? Right. Uh, of a successful outcome. But, but you're it, not able to see inside every yeah. little cell. Not but, yet. Yeah, not, not yet. We're getting there. We're oh getting my gosh. There. Amazing. No, we definitely yeah. are we definitely are getting there. And as the technology is getting better and better, because when we take that little sample of the embryo, we're only taking five, four or five cells, very uh -huh. small amount of uh -huh. DNA that we're starting with uh -huh. uh, material. Uh, but as the technology gets better, cheaper, uh, more That's powerful. Invasive. Yeah. Uh huh. So now we're able. We're they're, they're, we're starting to look at it at a much deeper level and start getting, you know, like think about it. Walking closer to that bookcase. Yeah. Being able to open the book. You know, things Check like that. Check out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah that, no, really cool. That genetic component. You know, one really important part of it. So you know, like you said, genetically normal embryo. You know, theoretically, you, you would say, look, that that should have a really great chance at success, and it and it does. Mm -hmm. The other big way that we look at embryos, and I think this is you know, probably what you were referring to with the sort of the strength of the embryos. Yeah. You know, we can we can look at these embryos under the microscope and kind of grade them. Yeah, like, it's like yeah. A, B, 1 yeah. or... And it's just like, you know, school grades, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, we can look at sort of how big the embryo is, what stage it, it got to when we're looking at it. I wonder what my grade would have been when I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it's an just, A. Exactly, you made it exactly. here. You made it. You well, know, I mean, that's, that's a good like question. Like stronger than the it's other, and you're kind of like, how many weak links are just walking around? <laughs> <laughs> Which one shouldn't have made or it? Or stronger <laughs> one? Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> walking down the street, you're probably doing yeah, that. You were definitely a B. But I mean, that's P so, and I know some of that. Um, we dated a lot of yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's really subjective, right? So you yeah. know, it's, it's it's what that embryologist sees under a microscope. Mm -hmm. Every embryologist mm -hmm. is different. Okay. And so we, yeah. we can look at I didn't even know that. the yep. inner cell mass that becomes the baby. We can look at the outer cells that become the placenta. We test the outer cells when we're doing the oh, genetic wow. testing for the embryos. Oh, so I didn't know that the outer not, cells became the placenta. Yeah. So yeah. We're, not, we're not even directly testing the cells that become the baby. So there are some challenges and some mm -hmm. potential errors that come from that. Mm -hmm. we, we can give a grade based on you know, kind of how good they look. Yeah. And, and that's really subjective. Yeah. So, you know, an AA embryo theoretically has the highest chance of success. Right. You know, BB or a CC, you know, that has a lower chance of success. Right. It's not zero. You know, that there are still very healthy pregnancies that, you know, pregnancies and, and babies that are born, there, mm -hmm. there is you know no difference. This is just sort of a, a way for us to rank embryos mm -hmm. to say this is one that we know has a higher chance of success. Mm -hmm. So let's let's maybe transfer this one sooner because that potentially gets you to your, your pregnancy faster. Yeah. I, he I heard that doctors were even starting to not use the rating situation with their clients because the clients were getting so hung up on like the score, the grade yeah. as we would, of course. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, then you're so, panicking if you the the, if, it, you know, if the implanted the one misses, yeah, or right. either one, like yeah. then you're like, oh, you got, yeah, it's. But that's part of you know, going back to sort of what you look for in a clinic. Mm -hmm. You know, building that relationship with your provider, and you know, if you know that about yourself, that you really want to know all the data upfront, mm -hmm. all the information. Mm -hmm. You know, you want the sort of updated statistics based on what grade that embryo is. Perfect. And if not, then that's something that you should share with them. To, yeah. To... Yeah. Because some people are more science focused. And I mean, yeah. there's such an emotional. Right. Like, how do you, this is, I'm going to go deep really quick. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, like, at what point are you kind of like, like, I remember my girlfriend went through IVF, mm -hmm. her implanted embryo, which was like perfect, mm -hmm. miscarried. Mm -hmm. And I remember her calling me hysterical. We weren't even that close, but she was like, I don't know, you've been through some miscarriages mm -hmm. and I just wanted, and I was like, at some point, this is just God stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like at some point, yeah. this is not up to us. Right. And so maybe it was like, you know, 
God's protection for timing mm-hmm. or like there's that only wasn't so much supposed to be, exactly. you know, there's total, I was like, <clears throat> you did everything. There's nothing left yeah. Yeah. here to tell you other than that. We have to just have some sort of faith as people that like there's, do you ever like get into those conversations <laughs> with people? Yeah. Things get real deep. Every appointment probably does. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, I mean, it's part of what makes our job to me at least so, so special is that we get to share that with, with our patients, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, you're helping couples build families. You're helping people build yeah, families, right. and whatever that looks like. And, and you know, whether that's through a successful treatment cycle or, you know, using a surrogate or using donor eggs or donor sperm or donor embryos, even, you know, adoption, you know, uh-huh. when, when you come to the clinic, the fertility clinic, there are a lot of preconceived notions about exactly what you're going to do there. You know, our goal is to get you a baby, the baby. family, right? yeah. the family yeah, that you I want. No and idea. there are lots of different ways to get there. Totally. Yeah. I had no idea when I walked in to do IVF that I was going to end up using a surrogate. Right. Like I had, right. I basically had just hit rock bottom. I went to do, it was like the day before I was supposed to do a, the transfer and I got really, really sick. Like some, I just, I, and I, I hit like a rock bottom of, I don't think I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like I've had so much disappointment. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can put my body through this again. I feel like I need, this may sound selfish, but like another vehicle to do it for me. Like I just didn't feel strong enough to do it. And it took me a while to come to terms with it. I didn't act on it right away because at first I was like, oh, it's this privilege. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I I just felt guilty about it. And then I was like, you know what, Whitney, if the having the baby is the end goal and like who cares what anybody else thinks this is like everyone's family is built everyone's family because once the baby's there it's like almost all that stuff is like who even remember who even cares you're just like whatever i got and that's but that's i mean it's really common right you're so many months into the process you've done so many tests Mm -hmm. so many needle pokes medications sometimes you know just taking that step back and seeing the the forest for the trees and saying, yeah. mm-hmm. this is what we're doing this for is to, to help build our family. Yeah. It helps to give you that perspective, I yeah. think. Yeah. So do you at CCRM in Miami do surrogacy, egg donor, adoption, all of that stuff, everything? Yeah. yeah so Wow, you do all of that. So we don't do a- adoption per se. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But that is something I discuss with patients for sure. Yeah. Okay. Because you know, when, when patients come in, I, we always talk about there's m- many ways for you to build your families. And, right. and our goal is to really find the best best option for you. Mm-hmm. But yes, we do do surrogacy. We do do uh, donor eggs, donor sperm. Amazing to be able um, to do that in one place. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the, we have a over 16,000 square foot center, which has everything from the IVF lab to the andrology. So the sperm lab, the endocrine lab, wow. we have our OR, we can do your HSG, which is that x-ray of the uterus. Basically we can do everything. You don't, we don't have to send you anywhere, right? One right. step shop. That's there. wonderful. Yeah. That's so nice to know that the whole, it's your well, same team and your people and mm-hmm. not yeah. have to have these two people try to communicate Correct. and someone didn't respond to the email or right. answer the phone and exactly. it needs to all be in Bring one it place incredible 100%. yeah and that's all part of the concept right mm-hmm. trying to decrease the stress as much as possible yes. from what is a horrendously stressful process yeah wow what are some of the questions you get asked the most do you take my insurance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that is a real issue. Yeah. Like, this is not covered by insurance. Yeah. Right. And this is very, very expensive. Like, mm. even just doing the egg retrieval and making the embryos was like $30,000 for right. us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, insurance is getting better. There are you know, newer and newer kind of 
models, I okay. guess, of, of fertility benefits. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I would say coverage is is improving. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect by any stretch. It's mm-hmm. not even the majority of, of cases. It's expensive. You know, it's, we, we yeah. I've had friends whole... move to other countries to do it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Two friends who moved yeah. to different countries in Europe to have a baby there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and the laws are also different, too. Like in Australia, are a lot of the things that you're doing even legal in Australia? Uh, you know, it, it's broadly similar, but you yeah. know, certainly different countries, there's some nuances, yeah. um, you know, in, in kind of what kind of cycles you can do, you know, in right. some, even in certain countries in Europe, like in Italy, for example, the number of eggs that you can fertilize at any right. one time, the number of embryos that you can create, you know, it, it, it's... There's like different regulations. There, there are wow, some nuances. I wonder why that is. Yeah. And even surrogacy is not... church. But you know what, what's so interesting <laughs> about that is that because of the Catholic Church influence, that's actually where the concept of egg freezing came from. Uh, because they were limited in the number of embryos they could make. So oh, wow. in a cycle, they had all these extra eggs and they were like, well, what are we supposed to do with it? And they said, well, let's try freezing it. So actually, no it's way. something fast. Wow. Yeah. That was really the origin of egg freezing. And now it's become, you know, and, we've perfected it. But, and uh, wow. the origin of a lot of the drugs that we use, or at least the very early drugs, the injectable medications that yeah. we use, you know, uh-huh. purified gonadotropins from menopausal women that right. was approved and run by the Catholic Church. So there's, right. there's yeah, a lot of, lot of touch points there. And but... egg retrieval, wow. I'm assuming that's like for women that eventually do want to get pregnant that are mm. having the foresight to do it. What age do you recommend? Is that something that you recommend? Like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, for women that are interested in oocyte vitrification or freezing their eggs, mm-hmm. so I, it's typically a conversation I have with them. Part of it is, you know, what what is your long term goals? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some women are are already know now they don't want to have kids until they're much older. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which case, what what I typically say is when I, when you look at the data that's out there, somewhere around the healthiest. I put that in air quotes because yeah. again, when you're looking at data, it's not necessarily you, but it's looking at tons of people. Somewhere around the 28 to 31, 32 uh, seems to be optimal egg quality. quality. That doesn't mean that 22, 23 is bad or 34, 35 is bad. Mm -hmm. But if you know at the beginning that you're someone who wants to wait until they're 35, 36, 40, 40 to to have a baby, that's something I would definitely suggest meeting with a fertility specialist and talking to, you know, if you're 35, 36 and you're saying, hey, listen, I want to have three or four kids. Mm-hmm. So again, that's a conversation I'll have with them. You know, if you want to space them out and you want to have three kids and you're looking at, now you're looking at your third kid at 42, 43, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, maybe you are better off making the eggs now right. uh, or making the embryos right. uh, now and having them. And I, I tell them, it's, it's a little bit like an insurance policy. I'll, you don't have to use them. We'll, yeah. we'll keep them there. Uh, they're good for at least 20 something, maybe even more years frozen. Yeah. Uh, and this way, it also reduces some of that stress I in the process. I can't imagine if 100%. I had eggs yeah. that were already frozen. Like how much I, more relief I, you I, would I feel. I would cry thinking about the relief Aww. that I would feel. Right. I mean, really, because now to do it at this age, it's just, you're, I think about it as a you're mother. Not old. No, yeah. I don't feel old, but <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. that I'm not. And I know yeah. that that's a different, like, I'm very healthy. I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. Like, yeah. but I. You know the the geriatric pregnancies. Yeah, that yeah. Later. I hate that term. Oh I hate that term. I know. That's gonna get uh. used, but I think about it. I was like, now I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I right. already have. T- I've even said to my husband, like, she's so lucky because this process will probably be much more e- efficient yeah. by the time she's in her twenties. And oh, I would yeah. automatically cool be like, 
You're you get, sh- just do it. Yeah. yeah. Be way more free in your life. You don't have to rush relationships or think about your career exactly. or do any of that because yeah. you'll have that already right. done for and, you. You know, it's it's not the most accessible thing in the world, right? And it's no. it's freezing your eggs is it's a long and you know, there are some there are some difficult parts of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the process yeah. to doing process it is not is, easy. It's, it's like you, it's not just, you it's know, a little I think easier a lot from of the people, male side than the female. Oh, no, side. Totally. I'm terrified <laughs> of the process. Well, yeah. the process yeah. is not fun. I no. mean, it's Luckily for me, I had a partner who was willing to like give me all my shots mm-hmm. and go to all my appointments with me. And mm-hmm. like I needed that support. But mm-hmm. I yeah. can't imagine going home at the end of the night and like having to inject myself and yeah. the emotions. Be, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's it a hurts. lot. It yeah, it does. And then I will say the egg retrieval, like the the whole surgery was fine. But then the week after, like for anybody gearing up for egg retrieval. Mm-hmm. I was so bloated and yeah. uncomfortable. I could not get up and walk for like a week afterwards. Wow. So yeah. just be prepared. I mean, I maybe they had like overstimulated yeah. mm-hmm. the, they blow everything yeah. up. So well, it's kind of a catch 22, you know, yeah. you, you, the more eggs you get, the more stimulated your, your ovaries are, the kind of the worse you feel exactly. at the end of that day. So I was yeah. like, I was so happy Double-edged to get the 21 eggs, but then yeah. I'm like, oh, this yeah. feels like <laughs> so funny how yeah. everyone, because I've heard, I've had friends who've just, I've watched go through the process just miserable and yeah. yeah and then i've had friends to be like i was a little uncomfortable for a couple of weeks and i'm fine yeah. like it's just it all comes it's, down it's the same thing with getting different. pregnant having a baby yep. like yeah. it's mm-hmm. so specific it is yeah. and it's so dependent on just like how you internalize things mm-hmm. how right. you yep. deal with stress i yeah. know for me like i don't deal well my mom always <laughs> calls me like the 75 degree child because like if it wasn't 75 <laughs> degrees i was fancy <laughs> but like i yeah it, it was really it was obviously so hard for me that mm-hmm. i had to you know release the responsibility but i'm so grateful for like organizations like ccrm and and doctors like you who are making this mm-hmm. more like accessible not so scary. Mm. And I don't think people really know who to turn to either. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, programs like this are, are really yeah, helpful. You know, exactly. it's, it, it's still less talked about than it probably should be. You know, there are so many people out there that go through infertility that, mm-hmm. that don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of monthly struggle of getting a period and having that that whole cycle start again. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's really, really difficult. And I think people should be able to talk about that more. Yeah. And and seeing, you know, hearing podcasts, seeing things on social media about it, I, you know, I think that's, that can only be a good thing to let mm-hmm. people kind Feel of less un- unburden themselves. 100%. Yeah. You talked a little bit about diet and exercise before, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to know. Yeah, like, that's my next question. It's like, yeah. what supplements and what like, diet and exercise? You know, you you hear the same things, yeah. but what is really important for women to know who are trying to get pregnant in terms of, health and their wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's a couple of different things that we look at and there's things that we know we have good data for, meaning we say, okay, we know that these things are good or these things are bad. And then there's a very wide field where we either have no data or we have mixed data. Mm. And one of the things that I always talk about with my patients is that when we have that mixed, right? So some studies say this supplement's great. Some, some, some studies show that it wasn't necessarily good. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not harmful, what that means is that this individual small group of people it benefited and this individual small group it didn't. You might be in that group, you know, people are different, right? Yeah, so you yeah. might be in that group where it's beneficial, even though this study showed it showed it's not. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm looking at any of those, that's kind of the approach that I take. Okay. Let's look at you. Let's look at your specific situation and see, is this something that is potentially beneficial for you? Okay. And as long as it's not harmful, say, as, you know, let's look at the price. If it's something that's reasonable, 
and it's not harmful, by all means, go for it. If it's something that either we have no idea what it is uh, or it's potentially harmful, that's usually where I'll, st I'll steer them away from that. Okay. Uh, so some of the things that we know are harmful, so smoking, for example, right? So we always tell our our patients decrease smoking or quit smoking, really, when, when you're trying. It does affect the ovary. It affects mm -hmm. the number of eggs available in the ovary. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other things that, that come up are alcohol and coffee. Right? Everyone wants to know about that. Mm -hmm. And the, the truth is the data shows that small amount of alcohol, one to two drinks a day, that's probably fine mm -hmm. until you're pregnant. When you're actually pregnant, don't don't drink. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know what the safe, even no, though in no Italy and France, people drink line. during pregnancy. <laughs> uh, but we, we don't know what the safe amount uh, uh -huh. is yeah, for that. Morally, you can't test that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bad study. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, caffeine is another one that I get a lot of questions about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the data shows that small amounts of caffeine, so we're talking up to 200 milligrams or so, you know, so that's one or two cups of coffee probably is, is fine. It's more than that. Really, the, the data that shows it's harmful is 500. So okay. three, four, 500, which is a lot of caffeine. It's more than just like a I feel like one cup venti. of coffee has, has like 80. Yes. Yeah. I unless, remember unless doing Starbucks. this. Unless it's Starbucks. Yeah. Oh, you got to be careful. Okay, with, okay. Like, so your Starbucks venti Starbucks. is like 200 <laughs> milligrams right there. Um, but yeah, you know, I always tell patients it's important when you're making these changes not to create more stress, right? Mm -hmm. So some people are like, they're so it's, focused. On, I have to I cut out caffeine. Doing. I'm mm -hmm. like, girl, that the is stress and then the stress is crazy. You're supposed yeah. to be doing. Yeah. Right. Don't do, right. So so that's why I like to have that conversation with yeah. patients. Mm -hmm. And you know, modifying. There's things that are modifiable that maybe if we just do a little bit less of it, you're perfectly fine. And if you cut it out, you're going to be stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Marijuana is actually one of those. So there is data that suggests that, you know, smoking marijuana actually affects sperm. Uh, mm -hmm. Just like if you think about it, you know, when someone's high, they may not always be able to walk in a straight line. Sperm, same problem, right? I just heard they, this one of my friend's husband, like, <laughs> took a puff of a joint at a party and she was like, that motherfucker, we're supposed to be, <laughs> she was like, we're supposed to be doing, making embryos and the doctor said no yeah. weed. And I was yeah. like, I looked at her, I go, he's, I think he's been really stressed lately. So yeah. maybe it's kind of like, she was like, no, but the sperm is swimming in circles. That is a great point, right? So, you know, no one's perfect. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's good I was like, to don't have stress these... it out. I literally exactly. was like, don't bring it up because yeah. you're going to make him more stressed and that's worse than the puff of the weed. Yeah, right. like yeah. if it was every day yes. and if he was, yeah. yeah. That's what yes. I said. I was like, if it's this is once the first time in three yeah. months, yeah. give the guy a break. Yeah. You guys have been working on this right. for a long time. Right. But I watched this whole cycle happen. And I was like, this is so funny. <laughs> it's not funny, but I was like, we have to laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> really? yeah and, and, you know, as Dr. Bardo said, there, there are things to avoid that we know about. There's yeah. a lot that we just don't have a lot of great data on. Yeah. And if doing it makes you happy and gets you through the day and keeps you moving forward and is that positivity mm -hmm. that you need to, again, get to that end goal of having mm -hmm. a baby, then, then great. And, mm -hmm. you know, if not doing something because it's too hard or it's too expensive or it's, mm -hmm. it just doesn't work for you, certain diets or certain, you know, exercise regimens, yeah. that's fine as well. You know, yeah. it's all about balance, I think, you know, having a balanced, healthy diet, doing a moderate amount of exercise, what that what that means is sort of 30, 40 minutes of exercise three, mm -hmm. four days a week. Mm -hmm. Again, rough, rough guidelines. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not an absolute thing. If you do, if you have a week where you're only going to the gym twice and another week where you're going every day, great. Whatever, right. whatever works for you. Uh, but I think just, you know, keeping an open mind and keeping that balance to make sure that you're you're just keeping sane because it's, yeah. it's yeah. Stress so is really much the killer, right? Yeah. 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 And to, to your point, you know, there are some diets that have been studied. So like the Mediterranean diet, for example, mm -hmm. is one that has studied and we do have some data that, that suggests that it's, it may be, you know, in some studies it was helpful. So if that's an easy diet for you to do, go for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the American diet, 
generally not a good diet. Yeah. You know, high fat. Again, these are it's general concepts. You know, when people say, "Well, I have to cut out all the fat from my diet," well, that's yeah. that's not going to be good for. That's not good anyway. Yeah. Fat is yeah. part of what we yeah. need, but moderation mo- is exactly. really what it needs to it's be. An, it's, always, it's about moderation. Yeah. And Pierre, you mentioned this before. Uh, you know, someone telling you that you you can't get pregnant, that you you have to do something else because mm-hmm. you're, right. there's a zero chance you're going to get pregnant. That's that's very rarely true, if yeah. ever. Uh-huh. And you know, I, I think the same thing is true of you know the, these sorts of these diets, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. Everyone can get pregnant, you know, just because you're outside of the, say, BMI range that that is, quote unquote, normal, uh-huh. you, you can still get pregnant. Yeah, that's right. what I struggled with, too, because a lot of people, as I was sharing this process, were like, well, maybe you should gain some weight if right. you're like really trying to get pregnant, you yeah. know, like you're supposed to be at a certain weight. Yeah. And I was a part of me was like, OK, yeah, there's something there. Like, sure. I'm definitely underweight, so I should probably think about it and not just like sh- not just shut it out. But then part of me was like, people get Pregnant in all different mm-hmm. sorts of ways. Exactly. So it was just, it's so. Yeah, for yeah. everything they tell yeah. you, oh, you shouldn't do that, automatically They're, in your head pop probably three people. You're like, well, that person was doing yes. that. They have a baby. Yes. Which, yes. Is, like, exactly. odd. Yes. Which right. is why I feel like you're really not supposed to compare your journey to 100%. anybody yeah. else's. 100%. Like, we're, we're if I learn different. anything, yeah. 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 It's, it's just, it doesn't do us any good because mm-hmm. then we'll spiral. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, you know, that. That whenever I see patients who who have that story where they've been told they're never going to get pregnant, it really bothers me to my core. Think about it almost every day. Like yeah. how like how dare anyone like, ever say that? First of all, how the hell do you know? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I don't. There know. are so many things that are at our disposal and different things that can be done. Even just small things that uh, tweaks, uh, depending on the each individual. To say to a person, you're never going to get. And and by the way. I've heard many patients say that to me. Oh, that doctor said I'm never going to get pregnant. Right. I, I don't know if they were trying to sell something. I don't know what they were doing. Uh-huh. But it's it's just a horrible thing to say to someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I think that the concept of saying you will never should never should 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 never should, should be removed <laughs> from the lexicon. Right. Yeah. You're course. never going to be able to do that. I just I don't think that's true in modern medicine. Yeah. And and I think it's important that we realize that and stop using that language because yeah. yeah. like, it's damaging. Yeah. You know, there are so many people who try and try and try and go through all these treatments and, you know, take a break, get yeah. pregnant. Mm-hmm. There are so many yeah. people who do IVF totally. and then say, well, I, you know, we can't get pregnant. So let's, it was the first contraception month doesn't really matter we so didn't much try for, in over a year. Yeah. Because yeah. every month it would be like, okay, I'm ovulating in yeah. three days, so we should start trying now and then mm-hmm. we should do this. It was really, yeah. it was the first time in over a year yeah. that we like made love as a couple mm-hmm. yeah. for the intention of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say that to people because I know that it can really rub people the wrong way, but I that it has to be that there was some sort of stress released yep. from yeah. my body because yeah. I was a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a mess. And I just thought, I want to enjoy my life and my right. husband for three months before I start IVF because I, I have to de-stress. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not yeah. going to work. Mm-hmm. And that's when she came. And that's like, again, I'm like, okay, well, there's the God stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. so, of course. And like, you, I mean, you hear that all the time, right? And you know, if you're trying so, so much and you're putting so much focus and attention on, on each month being successful, you kind of, you lose the fun of it. And, you know, yeah. you're supposed to have fun in life. And your like body this. knows it too. Like <laughs> yes. your body yeah. then doesn't respond to it. That's why I feel like maybe that's why I miscarried so many times. I mean, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I don't want to like prescribe anything on myself, but I I sometimes think like the stress because I was so worried each pregnancy that this was going to happen. But who knows? And, you know, one other comment, t- two things I wanted to mention. One is, you know, 
what you were talking about before. I think one of the benefits of this podcast is there's a lot of patients that have come to me after trying for two, three, four, five years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for patients to know that they should come earlier, right? So if they're struggling, don't wait, right? Come I wish I had talked to your doctor earlier. Uh, You know, if you have menstrual irregularities, so if you're not having regular periods, that's already a reason for us to do an evaluation. Mm -hmm. We don't have to wait six to 12 months. Right. Yeah, don't even wait. So there are many reasons to go right ahead. If you're concerned about, for whatever reason, start the conversation. Right. Yeah. The second thing I was going to mention, you're asking about, like, you know, what, what are some things that people can do? even from us, forget about supplements, but uh-huh. even just trying to time, in, you know, having sex. So okay. when is the best time to have sex when oh, you're trying to get this. pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> so Because every day on my Clue app says potential fertile day. Right. Like every single day. And I'm like, that you're doesn't like, I'm, help I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for this. Yeah, I don't need my app telling me what to do. Come yeah. on now. I thought so, it was only supposed to tell me like the, yeah. yeah. So that, that's actually interesting that you mentioned the app. That's one of the things I don't I don't love apps for this reason, mm-hmm. which is that unless you have a perfectly exact cycle every 28 or every 20, whatever it is, the app is predicting. It's mm-hmm. saying, okay, based on the last couple of cycles, this is when we think you're going to ovulate. Using the ovulation predictor kit is actually testing the hormones in your body mm-hmm. each day, and it's going to be a more accurate mm-hmm. predictor of when you're going to ovulate. Okay. The other thing I always, whenever I, when I'm teaching residents and medical students, I always like to ask, you know, when do you think is the best day to have sex? You know, is it the day after ovulation, the day of ovulation, one or two days before ovulation? Most, All of them. <laughs> well, so most say, oh, it's going to be the day of or the day after. Okay. That's usually. When, I always say it was before, right? Right. It is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You want, you want the sperm waiting there when the eggs are ready. Oh. Ah, perfect. You want to come, yeah. you want to come work for us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's true. And, and it's really the, the day or two before is when the highest chance of having uh, of being successful. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people often ask is, you know, how often should I be having sex? Mm-hmm. And the answer I generally give patients is it depends on whether it's enjoyable. Right? Mm. So if if you if it's if it's on demand and it's really hard and it's really stressful, then yeah, try to just do it one or two days before. But if it's enjoyable, there's no the data actually shows that having sex more frequently doesn't yeah no no issue with sperm in fact some of the recent data suggests that more frequent ejaculations you actually get better sperm mm. which is something uh, relatively oh, well, new makes it fresher you're like yeah. getting no that's exactly what, that's exactly what it is like it's not spending as much time uh-huh. hanging out in there uh-huh. and, yeah. and, uh-huh. and building up stuff. swimming in the exactly. yeah and I think THC. The, the last thing that I would the last thing I would say on that is you know if, if you find tracking your cycles really stressful, which it can be. It can get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you know, either using the app or using the, the ovulation predictor kits, which are pee strips like a urine pregnancy test. Do you make those? Mm-hmm. We don't make them. Do they want are... us to do so I can put together a product package I think you guys should be doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's that's a great just idea. be sitting on the counter. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just hand them out at the first visit. Yeah. You yeah. Should, like, should have, Cute we'll just leave ones. them at bars and leave them in the bathrooms <laughs> of restaurants all over Miami. All of a sudden, everyone <laughs> See, starts getting pregnant. This is some good pregnant. marketing ideas. <laughs> but that, I mean, that can be stressful too, right? So, yeah. it, you know, for, for people that kind of just want to take a step back a little bit, having sex every day or twice a day mm-hmm. or that. That can be a lot. Yeah. Really, every two or three days is is fine. It's yeah. probably yep. fine. You know, sperm live in the fallopian tubes where they need to be for meeting the egg to make an embryo for a couple of days. Okay. So, you know, really every second or third day is fine. And if you if you don't want to test anything, Correct. if you just want to have sex every couple of days, yeah. you're still doing exactly what Wait. you need to be doing to get okay. pregnant. Can you get pregnant and get a period after? 
So it's a good, it's a good question. Yeah, and we're like derailing. And no, 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 this is great. So I mean, the the answer to that is yes, right? People can actually be pregnant and then miscarry very, very early on. Some people might spot uh, and think it's their period I when did, they're pregnant. Sunny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's very mm-hmm. common too, which is you know why I, when people will say I can't be pregnant, I got my period, and I said, well, was it a normal period or an abnormal period? And they're like, well, it was spotting. I'm like, well, that might not, mm-hmm. you might be pregnant, uh, yeah. in fact. So that's the answer. You know, you can, and sometimes you might only be a few, maybe a few days late. That could have been just simply, you know, you had a miscarriage, you were yeah. pregnant, um, mm-hmm. it didn't didn't make it very far, and you miscarried. I always think about that, like how many women miscarry and have no clue. Yeah, that, That's why it's so common. They have a weird period. So and you're like, yeah. many. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's so common. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't perfected uh, the ability to conceive. Yeah, human reproduction uh, is Human reproduction is wildly inefficient <laughs> compared to certain animals <laughs> that are wildly inefficient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Interesting. really is. Okay, so tell us why CCRM is special. Uh, so, you know, again, kind of taking it back a little bit, my, my wife and I chose CCRM specifically because we knew that the, the success rates were, were very, very high. Mm-hmm. That was that was the most important thing for us. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into this process. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of just emotional resources. And for us, we wanted to make sure that we were getting kind of the most from our investment of mm-hmm. all of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, CCRM has done a great job of improving. You know, there's not just one thing that makes our success rate's very good. It's lots and lots of little things. Yeah. There's there's teams of scientists that that go from very basic scientific research to the translational kind of improving clinical outcomes research mm-hmm. that are working on those marginal iterative gains that each step of this process, you get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And at the end of all of these things, your chances of having a successful pregnancy may be 10 or 15% higher than not doing any of mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the other things that's really helpful that CCRM does is it had it has its own genetics lab. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so we do all of our genetic testing for embryos in-house. You know, the, the quality of that is, is I think, excellent. And mm-hmm. so the, the results that we get as physicians, when, the, when those results come back, we can have a lot more confidence in. Right. So Especially it, if they're subjective, like mm-hmm. you said, like yeah. you have control over the lab technician that yeah. you hire and the the control over the Absolutely. operation. And yeah. it's, it's all in-house. And so yeah. we're a lot more responsible, right? Yeah. So, so the CCRM team in Denver doing the genetic testing is, you know, the same team, part of the same team that, that you're seeing in your location. And mm-hmm. whether that's Miami or one of the other many locations around the country, you know, we all have a stake in, in these results being accurate. And mm-hmm. so we can be a lot more confident when we're talking to patients about, hey, this is the, the results that we see for your embryo. This is the best quality. This is the one that we would recommend transferring. And I think that's really helpful to patients to know that they have the most up-to-date information or the most accurate information. Mm-hmm. And it lets us... I never realized that they were being sent to a different... Yeah. I mean, it's incredible to have it all in one place. I know. Yeah. I will say that I did have a friend that used CCRM in Colorado, and she has a six-month-old baby via surrogate, and she had nothing but amazing things to say. I had yeah, no same. idea that she used CCRM, too. And I was talking about what I was doing for work. And yeah. I mentioned this and she was like, oh my God, that's the fertility clinic that I had my that's baby so with. Yeah. Like, that's literally three days I mean, that's ago. the best part of that so, day. This is such yeah. a fantastic people job bring all their babies to, to you? That, that is, the, honestly, the best part of our job yeah. is the, yeah. is the yeah. after yeah. pictures. Yeah. Oh yeah, bring them in for yeah. sure. Is your we Christmas yeah. card like wall? The Christmas like, card so. wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we need so much space is to put all the, the happy baby pictures. Yeah. You know, I'll mention, I'll piggyback off what Dr. Potts said about specifically the genetics as a geneticist. You know, we 
actually recently published a study looking at different lab, PGT labs, so the genetic testing labs, and we found that the lab that you send the specimen to can change the outcome, right? So some labs just aren't as good as other labs. Mm -hmm. And I actually presented this information. I was just at a conference in San Diego where I was on a panel of people way smarter than me, but I got to <laughs> present some of that that information. Uh, so, And I think that's the CCRM difference, right? Mm -hmm. It's the quality. Mm -hmm. And that's what people often don't realize because quality assurance and quality control and the lab, at the end of the day, Having a good relationship with your doctor is very important, but what drives the success of your cycle is the lab. It's the science. There's oh, wow. no question. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that. So that's why having that good lab, having that ex not good, excellent lab mm -hmm. that's really being careful and like Dr. Potts said, mm -hmm. making those small changes. Yeah, continual improvements. Really can make a difference in, in outcome. And, and at the end of the day, let's be honest, that's our goal, right? Goal right. is live baby. Right. Amazing. This was so awesome. Thank you. I can yeah. sit with you. I want. I feel like I have so many in-depth questions. I want to like send yeah, the, gen the genetic testing <laughs> of my embryos <laughs> to you to like dissect. Yeah. Our flight's not until like, like midnight, so we've got. Which should I put in next? <laughs> even though I really want a girl. <laughs> okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, yeah, you guys. Thank you very and much. and yeah. anybody in the Miami area, CCRM is open in the Miami area, and yeah, you need these guys. They're here for you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. 